This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. All right, welcome back to the Struck Aerospace Engineering Podcast. On today's episode, in our new segment, we're going to talk about EasyJet. There was a lightning strike that caused that flight to be diverted. Kind of scary, but everyone uh, was okay. Secondly, we're going to talk about the FAA. The GAO here in the U.S. has talked about that a lot of uh, engineers are going to be hitting retirement age pretty soon, and there's some key training and competency gaps that need to be addressed. It's a really interesting topic right there. Uh, we're going to chat a little bit about Boeing and some of their UV technology and other technologies they've developed to help clean airplanes. Obviously, COVID is still affecting a lot of the way we travel. And speaking of the way COVID is affecting travel, Australia has some new protocols potentially uh, in place soon that will keep, uh, honestly, passengers pretty happy, but also make screening a lot easier and safer potentially. In our engineering segment, we're going to talk about the the Eurocopter X3, which has set a new speed record for a helicopter and also the supersonic business jet that just went through wind tunnel testing. And then lastly, in our EVTOL, EVTOL segment, we're going to talk about aviation, uh, getting a partner for composite doors. And lastly, the beta technologies EVTOL and a flight test they recently completed. So, Alan, let's talk first with some lightning news. EasyJet, they think they got struck by lightning, but take us through that scenario. What happened? <laughs> well, there's... <laughs> there's there's a lot happening in this particular one. So it's flying from uh, essentially Scotland down to southern England. And there was a lightning strike on the communication tower down in, in Bristol. And what happens, in a lot of cases, this is not abnormal, but when lightning strikes the airport, you can lose airport lighting, which is a big deal, or you can lose communication tower. Mm -hmm. And when you lose communication to the aircraft that are coming into the airport, uh, you you lose control of traffic, so you, you 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 probably will end up diverting somewhere, which is what happened. They end up diverting to Birmingham and then being bust bust down at nighttime to where they needed to go. So it, a, a lot of the airports though have lightning protection because this is not infrequent, and a lot of the gear, uh, communications gear, and uh, anything that may be susceptible to lightning strike has protection in it, so it makes you think something happened. Uh, loss of power, a loss of piece of damaged equipment, which just makes for a fun flight because you're not expecting that to happen. If you know, usually aircraft get mm -hmm. struck, not not the airport, but the airport got struck in this case, which made it for a little bit of an adventure. So, bigger story here: the FAA has said that while well, they're going to work to address some gaps, but the GAO has sort of uh, wag their finger in, and this is the government accountability office is recommending that the FAA really address some some issues that are going to be upcoming. So in 2025, according to the GAO, between 52 and 62 percent of FAA inspectors and engineers will be retirement eligible. So, Alan, why is that a scary scenario and why does that require this uh, this to need to be addressed? Well, the, the FAA is involved in all parts of aviation in the United States and across the world. And and if you're losing half of your staff, so to speak, 
you can't operate. Things just will grind to a halt, which is what will yeah. happen. And it's hard to replace that sort that level of expertise that has developed at the FAA over 30 years, probably, maybe 40, somewhere in there. And so to, t- to take those key knowledgeable people that have been uh, working with the aircraft industry for such a long period of time off the table, you're just left with this void. And, and the problem comes about because it's very the aircraft industry is very cyclical. And so there's booms and busts. It's kind of like the oil industry. There's booms and busts. And during those bust period, people don't get hired. And so you get these this uh, wide span of several years where the aircraft industry wasn't hiring. If they're not hiring engineers and inspectors, that's where a lot of the FAA gets their people from is from the aviation industry. So if the aviation industry isn't hiring people in that in that span of time, then there's just like this 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 void of people that exist. So for, to the next wave of of uh, engineers and inspectors, it could be there could be a ten to fifteen year gap in terms of if you look at the statistics in the, in the age distribution, you're going to see this separation that occurs between them, and it occurs in the aircraft companies mm-hmm. too. You can see it. So this this if it's happening in the FAA, it's happening at the aircraft companies too, so, uh, which is you just got this this sort of knowledge that's walking away and retiring, going down to sunny Florida or wherever they're headed to, and then what are you going to do? Right, you can't backfill twenty yeah. years of knowledge tomorrow. There just aren't people that to fill it in because once those once they had that dip in aviation. The, those engineers went somebody else and those inspectors went somewhere else to have a, a, a nice life and you just can't bring them back. And it's really hard, especially in disciplines like mine uh, and, and some stress and mechanical systems that are very, very, very narrowly focused in the sense of they know a lot about this particular aspect of aircraft design and certification. Those people are hard to find. So you just you just yeah. can't pick them up off the street anywhere. It's going to be a real, real problem. Especially 50% is a huge number. Holy moly. Wow. Well, and so they'll be eligible for retirement at that point, but does that mean that they all will? I mean, do you, are you engineer folk who, you know, you're good at what you do and you're passionate about all the, the design and tinkering? Like engineers are a certain type of people. I mean, do engineers just like want to run into retirement right when they're first eligible or are you sort of more the demographic that's maybe going to work a little it depends. bit longer? It, again, it's a, it's a demographic uh, profile. I think just based on my anecdotal information, if, if you put your time in government service, by the time you, you reach retirement age, the benefits are really good. Uh, because you put all that mm-hmm. like the time it's like being a police officer or fireman and at the end you, there is there's some significant benefits to staying on that job for a certain length of time so when you get to retirement age you pretty much want to take that if you can you, it, it's not like um, you know slubs like me that are off uh, doing their own in, independent engineering thing where if you like it you stay because you can sort of control your destiny you're not coming into an office so to speak uh or somebody else is the boss i'm the boss of the, of the thing so mm-hmm. uh, you know I'll, a lot of people in my situation that are der's stick around until whew, 75 80 uh, a lot of times because they enjoy it you know and, and it's they can come and come and go yeah. as they please 
work when you right. want. They can come yeah. and go as they please. Well, you can't really do that if you're coming to the FA office. You know, you, you're, it's an eight to five, Monday through Friday kind of job. And and a, a lot of people, when they get to their early 60s, decide to retire. And, I, and so if they're projecting out 50 percentile it, at 2025, it's going to be roughly that. It won't be 10 percent. It'll be closer to 50. So they're not, hang, they're not hanging right. around. Yeah, yeah. They, they did gotcha. their time. And, and rightly so. They can. That's part of the part of the agreement they made. So moving on, Boeing is talking about some of their new technology, which this is obviously very relevant, just trying to keep planes as uh, as clean as possible. So their engineers have created a device, an ultraviolet wand that they just basically like scan all through <laughs> right. the plane and zaps everything out of the nooks and crannies. And um, it's pretty interesting. I mean, Alan, I guess my bigger question here is not whether this stuff works. It seems like it clearly yeah. does. Uh, but is this going to hang around in three years? Like, are uh, we in three years still going to be doing this or, or not? That what do is you think? a great question. And I was ha- having this discussion over the weekend with somebody about all the cleanliness activities that are happening on the airplanes today and how, at least in the United States, there's a lot of discussion how the, the general flu hasn't propagated like it normally would at this time of year. So they've seen a real big drop in and flu-related mm, issues, right? And uh, I'm guessing they're just based on the level of concern you hear about COVID on airplanes, you would have to assume that the flu and the common cold transmissions on airplanes would be a thing and probably a relatively common thing. Uh, so do we keep the level of cleanliness on the airplanes be- uh, to mitigate the transmission of diseases in general? Name, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, do we keep that level of cleanliness up, or as soon as COVID is over, we just you know go back to whatever lifestyle we we're living to begin with? I don't know. You know, I I think because the airline industry is going to be hurt so badly in this, and the aircraft manufacturers are going to be hurt so badly, the more they can do to make the aircraft sterile on a, in a sense, it's going to make the aircraft more uh, amenable to being sold. If I have an air, if I have an A320 without an antibacterial antiviral system and I got an A320 with the antiviral system and it's say it's $10,000 more, probably going to get the antiviral airplane, probably going to do that. And so the aircraft manufacturers really need to think about that because I think the, the, the wand system that Boeing has uh, proposed and uh, Honeywell, I think has a sort of cart related uh, system that goes down the, down the cabin. Both of those are very uh, useful tools, but realistically, that kind of light technology could be integrated right into the aircraft to start off with. So as you lift the aircraft for the night, you flick the switch and it self-cleans itself, yeah, right? Just, just Yeah, it just lights itself yeah. up and, mm-hmm. you're done, and you're done. The next morning you come in and you're, it's all quote-unquote sanitized or taking all the viruses out of it and you're off for the next next day that i think is going to become more and more reality the question is does that technology which exists in the aerospace industry then get transferred onto other things like subways and buses and cars because if things that start off an aircraft have a tendency to flow down over time and governments governments that get in sort of a panic mode and rightly so they're People are scared right now. Uh, 
will start to edict things like this. Like if we can do it on an airplane, why can't I do it on the bus? If I can, if I can transmit COVID yeah. on an airplane, I can sure as heck transmit it on a subway. How hard is it to put UV lights in the subway system? Really? Not hard. So I think some of this technology is going to trickle down. Don't, don't you think so? I mean, you take the subway way more than I do. Wouldn't it make sense to have it on the subway? Yeah, yeah I was on it today. Um, I, it would. I think, well, obviously the air filtration systems are not nearly as robust, probably not even in the same ballpark yeah. as on an airplane, yeah, right? Yeah, um, yeah so I, I kind of am on the fence of whether as soon as we get the chance where we're like, why are we doing this? Like no one's sick anymore. This is costing us $30 million a year in cleaning fees. Mm -hmm. Like let's ax that. So our shareholder value goes up. Right. I think at some, at some point a CEO is like looking through ways to increase the stock price and get his $15 million bonus. And he's like, Hey, it doesn't seem like we really need all that cleaning anymore. Smell ya. Right. But then again, you know, trying to ward off future pandemics and problems, it seems like it'd make good sense if we just integrate all the stuff, like you said, into the subway system, into the every public place. We're just right. We're going to be a little more insulated from the next pandemic and just the next flu sure. season. And maybe this is just good for the economy and the city in general right. I, going forward. That seems to make sense, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know that I trust humans to make that choice uh, because they're going to see it as an expense. Where it's like, well, we're spending all this money, but how do we know we're actually preventing anything? Because you can't really measure prevention, right? Like you spend thirty million dollars a year on something. And the thing that you're preventing doesn't happen, but you don't have any way to know if it would have happened if you didn't spend the money, right? And that's kind of how we operate. Yeah, but then you start to like throttle it back and then see when it becomes a problem again. Yeah, I I agree with that. But we have been through several in the last 10 years ish, we've been through several of these pandemics, not ones that have been as uh, spread as fast or has been as deadly, but swine flu and uh, there's been a number of them. So, So we know every three-ish years, four-ish years, five-ish years is going to be another one. And it isn't like it's never going to happen again. No one is saying that. Everybody is saying, yeah, every couple of years you're going to be in this sort of pandemic because we're all interconnected and we're all moving around so much anymore. So it's easy to transmit. But um, I I think the first market is going to be business aircraft. They're going to do it first because that's what's going to happen. Then it's going to be larger aircraft. And then hopefully it gets down to buses and subways. That's the hope. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of which, Australia is maybe the first to report that their whole process is just going to change, which is sounds great. So basically their thing is they've they're installing computerized tomography equipment, which basically says like all your electronics and all the stupid stuff in your bag that they make you take out is just going to be able to stay in your bag. So it's just all going to go through the scanner and they don't have to worry about, you know, any of that. And I guess the only challenge is we have to know which passenger goes with which bag. So they'll have to be a little more regimented rather than everyone just like shoving their stuff through and then walking right. through. But that sounds wonderful. <laughs> so go COVID. <laughs> no more. Of course, I have TSA pre-check, so I don't have to really suffer through much of that anyway. But this seems like a good good system. Well, well they have think? done it in the United States, at least in some places. I, I went through Newark Airport several years ago where that happened, where they said, keep your shoes on, keep all your stuff in your bag, don't take it out, don't take your liquids out, just put it through the scanner and that was it. And I, and I don't know, I don't go through Newark enough to know if this is just a, a day-to-day thing now, or it was just a special test that was going on during that time period I had to be traveling. But it, it seems like there's some technology out there that would allow it to happen. It's probably just more expensive. But in this new 
post-COVID world where we don't want to touch things, then it makes a lot more sense. Because if you start thinking about the number of touches you make at an airport mm-hmm. or any place else, on a subway even, there's a lot of touches that are not needed in today's world. And if we can minimize those, it would help. Because it seems like a lot of the transmission, well, in the, in the COVID case, there's just, there's there seems to be airborne. But some of it is transmitted via surfaces. So, uh, and but you know, all in all, it makes the time by the time I enter the terminal to the time I get on the airplane shorter. That is a huge benefit. That's a huge benefit, and it'll encourage people to use those airports. All right. So in our engineering segment today, we've got two very fast aircraft. So one's a rotorcraft, one's an aircraft. Uh, the Eurocopter X3, Alan, this is a behemoth, just broke the <laughs> speed record. Was it 263 knots, I think, is the previous record was 250. Uh, very bulky. So what what is the deal with the X3? How is it so fast? What is the engineering involved to make this happen? Uh, if you think about a helicopter being shaped like a guppy, it's sort of shaped like that. It has a, a sort of belly to it. And they needed that because there's there's two propellers on a basically short stubby wing coming out the sides of the uh, the fuselage. So it's got the main rotor. There's no tail rotors to speak of, and it's got these two propellers dr- gear driven on either side of the rotorcraft. Uh, so it <laughs> it looks like an EVTOL sort of. But it's not. Obviously, it's it's driven by uh, standard uh, aviation fuels. But it moves really, really quickly. And the, the two propellers on the uh, act as um, like a normal tail rotor would be. So they're ones, it's, it's, it's sort of helping uh, to uh, uh, kind of rotate the helicopter as the main rotor spins. So instead of a tail rotor, they're kind of taking care of that in the two propellers that are facing forward. It is going tremendously fast, uh, and uh, it really and it always all this depends on fuel burn and efficiency and all those sort of things. But they're they're pushing the boundaries on the aerodynamic side. I mean, you start to wonder, like, man, is is price wise can they get it down to things like a King Air, which is a twin engine turboprop, or is it a, a, a acceptable replacement for sort of the tilt rotor or 609 kind of uh, uh, aircraft? It, there, there's so much happening so quickly. And so Korsk has been in this space for a little while too. There's so much happening on the rotorcraft side and sort of forward thrust and, and getting the speeds way up. It starts to encroach on the airplane territory. <laughs> so it's going to be really interesting to watch this go forward. Well, who who wants a, a helicopter this fast? Who needs a helicopter this fast? Is it purely military? No. Or, like, what no, is it? No, who who buys these? Uh, well, people who fly in helicopters, and there's a lot of them. Uh, obviously, in, a, in an industrial use, offshore oil platforms, there's helicopters going back and forth. There's no other way to do that. Uh, but there's also that uh, New York to. Uh, Philadelphia route or New York to New Jersey helicopters, which just, just don't move that fast. Helicopters are vertical things and they just don't fly at great speeds for a variety of different reasons. So if you can have a versatile takeoff, you know, I can land anywhere. And it was just the beauty of this helicopter. I can land anywhere, but I can fly at turboprop speeds. 
Well, okay. Your marketplace just explodes in terms of the number of possibilities now because now I don't have to go to the airport. I can put this at my local, at my business. I can put this at the hospital. I don't have to drive organ transplants to the hospital, to the airport to, to fly wherever they're going to go. I can actually do it right at the hospital and go from A to B directly, which is part of where the EVTO mm. market is trying to hit too. So there's going to be a really fun competition going forward on what the technology is to fill that marketplace because fast flying, uh, vertical takeoff and landing is a dream that we really haven't reached yet, and which is what the 609 was trying to do and it's and will do. But there is a variety of different places that this can be used, and I think that they'll, help, they'll definitely find a big marketplace for it. So speaking of really fast uh, toys or business toys or, you know, whatever toys, uh, Arion completed wind tunnel testing of their supersonic business jet, the AS2. So how, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of fast things happening yeah. right now. Um, I mean, this thing is a $120 million aircraft, 12 seat supersonic business jet, and they are hoping that it will fly in 2023. So what are your thoughts here? I think they're going to run into difficulty on the political side. The technology, we've been flying supersonic since the 40s, and the Concorde was in the 1970s. So th- this this aircraft will happen, and it, it has a, a variety of great features to keep the, the sonic boom down and be efficient and do all the things that a, a more modern supersonic business aircraft needs to go do. But there has been a, you know, if there is the expected change in leadership in the United States, uh, the last time that happened, business aircraft got crushed, absolutely crushed, because the the administration made a point of calling out calling out companies that had airplanes, and it would it would take all of of, of five seconds for uh, a, a politician to come out and blast companies for buying a supersonic business jet, so the CEOs can go fly to Paris for the weekend. That will take no time to do. So you really need to be thinking not only about the engineering right now, you need to be thinking about the politics and making sure that you don't get blown out of the water because some politician wants to take a free swing. And I think there's a lot of, uh, I I would be really concerned right now. Uh, I I know a lot of these projects are happening in uh, more conservative areas like Florida, which will be a big proponent of these of these aircraft but on the broader scheme you, you got to get it through the faa you got to get through a number of other hurdles can you do that if the politics change and you become um an object to <laughs> to beat upon that's going to be the real real struggle here because i know i know the engineer a lot of the engineers that are working on these projects they're going to get this done. This is going to happen. This will be the future. Now, will it be a future in two years or just going to have to wait four or six or eight before the government allows it to happen? That's going to be the, the thing to really watch. All right. So in our final segment today, we're going to chat a little bit about electric vertical takeoff and landing. So these vehicles are continuing to be really fascinating and seeing their development and their sort of race to, to certification. So uh, just some news this week about uh, aviation. Obviously, every ounce matters, right, on these planes. And so, aviation is partnering with Altitude Aerospace um, to help develop composite doors. 
So, Alan, this seems like kind of like a boring article. Like, oh, just <laughs> we got news about their doors. But this is actually pretty significant yeah. as far as, again, like every gram matters, oh, right? Yes, it does. On an aircraft, absolutely. It just makes it more efficient, right? So, you anywhere you can save weight on an aircraft, you're going to do it. And even... Even old aircraft, quote unquote, old aircraft are looking for a constant weight savings every year. It's a, they're just grinding and grinding and grinding to get weight off the aircraft. So any um, really mundane change like this is the engineers like super excited that they save five pounds. So if we dance in the parking lots after work and that's that's why, because it's such a big driver on performance weight is performance and less weight is better performance and this is why you get into these weird discussions about weight all the time because you're just trying to out you know, trying to out compete the next guy on the airplane and if you can cut the weight down it makes a huge huge difference all right so last thing on the docket today uh beta technologies has done a recent test flight so this was in plattsburgh new york and alan what's what sticks out of you as significant about this uh, about this test flight, it's flying. That's that's what's significant. <laughs> they, they, yeah, fair. Yeah, fair. so they're in they're based in Burlington, Vermont, uh, and they're flying in Plattsburgh, New York. And so there's there's a big airport, but it's it's a little bit of a haul from from uh, Vermont to to New York because the Plattsburgh, New York is essentially on the Canadian border. It's it's a stone's throw away mm-hmm. from the Canadian border, so it's way up north, northern New York. Uh, the, the the aircraft was lifted via helicopter from Burlington, Vermont, and carried up to Plattsburgh to do the flight test. And I think as it goes, in Plattsburgh, there's a there's water out there, and they can do flight testing over the water all they want at, and at the airport. And the, the runway there is huge, if I remember correctly. So they, they have a great place to do flight testing. But it looks like they're doing just basically forward flight right now and getting off the ground and landing, which is fantastic. All right. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of Struck. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for listening. And please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from the show. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WGLightning. Tune in next Tuesday for another great episode on aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardaero.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.